Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Smash Accept podcast. I'm your host, John Hampton. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore trades. That's right. Dynasty dad could not make it tonight. So I'm in the host chair and there is actually a pretty good chance I never give it back. So you've been warned, dad. Let me just tell the Smash listeners out there tonight is going to be a very, very special pod. I can't think of a single person I'd rather have on our pod to break down this 22 rookie class than our guest tonight. Before we get to that, Mong, how are you doing? We got we got through free agency. You've been adjusting your rankings. And we have, I can't believe this, but three weeks from the NFL draft. You have rookie fever yet? Oh yeah. It's been it's been building and building, and I'm super pumped because Tonight with our guest, I won't reveal just yet. Uh, I'll let you do that, John. But uh, I, I love these shows where I get to kind of sit back and listen more, right? When we're breaking down trades, I always have a ton to say. But I feel like sometimes I get to just sit back, ask the questions that I want to you know, hear answered that a lot of listeners do also. But uh, yeah, before we get into the rookie talks, I've been updating my dynasty rankings, one quarterback and super flex. Uh, pretty much daily uh, with every trade and signing that happens. You guys can find those over at Fantrax HQ. And uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. Yeah, Mung, I'm with you on this. We, we do get to sit back. In fact, I'm calling the pod tonight Smash Except University. And uh, we look, we truly are in the presence of greatness in our minds. Nobody breaks down film better than our guest tonight. Our professor here with us has been refining his craft for years now. And on April 1st, he just put out the 17th annual rookie scouting portfolio. You can find him over at Football Guys and on his RSP cast. Welcome to the show, Professor Matt Waldman. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's quite an intro. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to chopping up with you guys. It's always yeah. nice to be able to talk it talk about this class with you yes sir yeah we've been looking forward so much to chopping up this 22 rookie class tonight usually again Mung, mike and i are putting our takes out there but tonight class will be in session here with you matt and, and i will tell you this we had you on the show last year and we had a lot of listeners that did actually go out and buy the rsp i absolutely big recommendation i i've been reading through this it's like over a thousand pages long deep into all kinds of film insights you'll pick up so much it's an absolute smash so do yourselves a favor and and go out there and grab that but matt for those listeners that you know it's their first day of class here tell them what they can expect from the rsp sure and and i think a good way to start with that is to kind of give people my background obviously i don't have a professional football background or really any type of football background beyond that as uh, of being a writer. Um, but I had an operations background and that operations background, I had to get some certification and best practices and how to evaluate performance. And I applied that those types of best practices that I got certification in into monitoring or really evaluating the performance of football players. And, and really, so what I was trying to do is I, I, discovered over the years that the processes that I was learning and applying in corporate America worked actually very well in helping you learn the subject matter that you were evaluating. 
Um, if you if you stuck to it and really continued to 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 stay with the process the way it was intended to be designed, because it would be a continuous improvement type of cycle. And so that's what I applied to football 17 years ago. And the RSP is now uh, essentially uh, a number of ways of evaluating football talent at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. And, you know, it's it's film watching using a checklist format with a 100 um, point scale that's very intuitive. Everything's defined for you. So you get to see my work. You get to see what I'm looking for when I evaluate these players and how I define it. And I'm not talking about, you know, you look at the NFL.com's grading scale that scouts use that is based on a process that's been outdated for 60 years, you know, and there's no offense. There's some great scouts out there and there's some people who are great in the scouting community, even at NFL.com. But being having a good eye for talent is still only part of the equation. If you have a process where people can't even agree on what is good and you're not on the same page as a team because the definitions aren't strong or the weights aren't um, placed in a good area to determine what it is that you're looking for and trying to prioritize, then it can create a lot of problems. So that's where my experience is leveraged a little bit more to my advantage is that I give you a process where I can try my best to objectify things in a matter where if you wanted to learn how to watch tape, you can go to the RSP, you can use the process, you would have a, a glossary of defined terms, you'd have a weighted checklist already, um, and, and then you could you know, slowly learn to watch tape that way if you really wanted to put in that work. Now, I put in that work for you. I look at over 150 prospects um, at those four positions. I give you, you know, different tiers in terms of how I weight that. So I take you through kind of a written journey of how I come up with my ranking. So you can see how I break out all these separate things that factor into the position that are physical, technical, conceptual, and intuitive. And then I put that all together um, based on the grading checklists that I use to create rankings. And I grade pe people in two different ways. I grade them in depth of talent and breadth of talent. Depth of talent is more based on um, how well they perform certain skills. Breadth of talent is whether they can perform a broad cross-section of skills that can be demanded at the positions. Because as we know, team fit is very important in certain systems will allow Debo Samuel to be a runner and express his running ability to its highest characteristic, whereas they may downplay his ability to get off press coverage against um, a top defensive back, and he's not going to have to run as many timing routes against tight man-to-man -man coverage as, say, you know, Julio Jones in his prime with Matt Ryan. Um, so, that you know, you're talking about the same position but expressed in very different ways, or Cordero Patterson in the way that he played that position and how a team finally figured out a way how to use yeah. him, mm -hmm. you know, but it was, but it's very vastly different than any other team. So I look at these types of things so that I can give you a depth of analysis and breadth of analysis that helps you understand kind of the levers and touch points that can help a player express his greatest potential as where as well where his floor may be. And in addition to the, the pre-draft, which is all of that and an easy to navigate bookmark PDF, 
You also get cheat sheets with it where I rank them in different ways so that you can see that. Um, I do data. I look at data in terms of catch data, um, yards after contact data, elusiveness data that I track um, with all of these positions. And then the post draft that comes out at a week after the draft, I then incorporate that analysis with where they landed. I look at the depth charts that these players are currently entering, the contracts that are that with the time remaining for each of the players that they'll be competing with and give you an analysis of those players, as well as an updated cheat sheet that's tiered and color coded so that you not only see where I rank them based on where they their draft capital and their fit, but I also give you a number that's um, basically a difference between my ranking of the player and their ADP um, during that week and maybe a week or two before drafts. I mm -hmm. separate that out and it's, I call it kind of like a soft spot where you can, or that ideal spot where you can determine, listen, Pat, you know, in the past, Patrick Mahomes or Nick Chubb players that I were higher on than the consensus. Instead of telling you pick these guys, number one, even though I rank them that highly, I could tell you, listen, this is where they're getting drafted. This right, is right. The, the earliest spot where you're getting value, but it's not too late for you to where you're going to miss out on them. Or if I'm, you know, so you get that sweet spot in terms of how to draft them. And that's all on one sheet. And then I give you updates um, with my um, newsletter that comes out throughout the year and you're subscribed to it through December that gives you updates on that class as well as the 2023 class. Yeah, beautiful. I've definitely cruised into some of my rookie drafts with your cheat sheet, I, I must say. But what I love about it, Matt, is just that blend with the film study you do along with those analytics and, and then being able to you know, understand the cheat sheet rankings. For me, it, it, it's something I've used for years now and really have enjoyed. So we had the big reveal with the RSP this year, again, 17th, um, which is amazing to me. Um, doing anything that long, you're going to be pretty, pretty darn good at it. But when you look at this 22 class, what was your your kind of take on it um, when you, we're you know we're a lot of our listeners are trying to figure out what am I going to do right now with my 2022 rookie picks? Um, how does this class stack up versus last year? I know that you you do kind of help compare to the previous couple of classes. How would you size this up when you think about each of the positions just um, in general? Yeah, I mean, I think quarterback quarterback wide receiver actually all of these class all four positions are boom bust but for different reasons okay um, so the quarterback position is boom bust because there are limited talents who if they get put into nfl scenarios the way most quarterback classes do at the top players that get drafted there um they have a higher chance of really just having that kind of roller coaster ride that doesn't end well think drew lock as a good example okay <laughs> yeah. um so there's a lot of players who have the talent but if they maybe sit a little bit then you might get more of that kirk cousins type of potential where you know they may have a couple of rough years getting you know limited play and then be able to work their way in um you know or maybe even at best a josh allen like um, trajectory where, you know, they have to lean on lesser yeah. avenues of their talent until they can really put their full game together. Running back is 
to me, boom bust in the sense that there's a lot of talent, but there's not a lot of demand. Mm -hmm. So, so there's some players here that it's deep. And I think that there are some of these players may just not get a chance to Mm -hmm. get the opportunity to express that talent because they're stuck behind a good depth chart. Wide receiver is boom bust because there's a combination of things. There's, there's players who may be catching the wave of a, of, a trendy idea like who's the next Debo Samuel um, when maybe that player Traylon Burks is maybe more of a Kenny Galladay if we look in reality, <laughs> yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, which isn't bad if you put him in a situation with two good receivers like Marvin Jones and Golden Tate on either side, like they he was in yeah. Detroit. But is he going to find the team that either expresses his Debo Samuel-esque qualities if they're that good? And that's a debatable point. And then you have players who coming off of injury like Jameson um, Williams, Jameson Williams, Justin yeah. Ross. You mm-hmm. know, those are guys that are concerns. Then there's players, can they ride the ride? Are they big enough? You know, are, have we gotten to a point where defenses are spread apart enough now that a Calvin Austin, Khalil Pimpleton, or Wandale Robinson can actually express their skills to their highest yeah. potential. Um, and then mm-hmm. you have, you know, and then you have some guys who are from smaller schools like Jalen Tolbert and Christian Watson, who seem very physically talented, but can they improve that? Tight end right. is boom bust because when you look at that position, it's there's two ways the NFL scouts it. There's the traditional way, which is Jeremy Ruckert looks like an early round pick to us because he can block, he can catch, he can run routes underneath. But he sure doesn't match up well against cornerbacks or safeties. Um, he's just not that fast, not that mm-hmm. quick, not explosive that way, um, though he's reliable. So are you getting you know, a healthy Jake Butt if you think that Jake Butt wasn't going to be much better before the injury? Um, or what would be another example? Um, you know, Maybe a Jordan Aikens you know, or mm-hmm, a Darren mm-hmm. Fell, somebody who's going to give right. you four to 600 yards but not crack your top 12 in fantasy. Well, Mm -hmm. that's one way of looking at it. But then there's the Bill Belichick way, which is his long term was, look, I can get blockers late. I'm going to go for the receivers who are matchup problems early and and go for that. Well, if you do that, then beyond maybe the top two to three guys, there's about five to six guys who could fit that category. But they're probably day three picks in the draft, which means they're not going to get opportunities early on by and large, and that means that mm-hmm. the risk factor for fantasy is higher because, again, the teams that invest the hot in their high-round picks invest the most money, and therefore there's pressure for those guys to have to play early, and they get more leeway for mistakes yeah. than guys who are picked later who who basically can make one mistake out of 10 and the and the coach is like see I told you guy can't play <laughs> whereas the the guy may make the guy who's picked in the early rounds may make five mistakes out of 10 plays and they go it's okay it's just going to take him some time to get better i mean i've heard this repeatedly from nfl players right, and right. different people so it's that kind of thing with draft capital that's the to me, that's the real truth of it. It's not the predictor of talent. It's the predictor of opportunity. And so that's yeah. where tight end is, can be a little boom bust. Okay. So, yeah, no doubt. We and, and I think we have talked quite a bit about that, that it does look like there are a lot of boom bust type players in this class. And it'll help a ton just to see how does the NFL view these 
guys, what kind of draft capital, what kind of team fit? Like we, you were, you were talking about, um, I've heard you talk about Traylon Burks is really, it's really important that he gets into the right team fit situation, maybe more than any of the other receivers in the class. And so once we know that, and I know that's where the, the post RSP draft comes into play because you can apply some of that to, so that in these rookie drafts, we have a better sense for, are we getting a boom player or are we not? What, one of the things, Matt, that there is just so much hype and a lot of potential boom players in the next class, 2023 class. I haven't seen a class get quite this hyped up in a while. And I recognize you haven't had a chance yet to, to go through your process and really study these guys, but you've likely seen some of these, these guys like, you know, Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs, and you got some big talented QBs like CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, talented wide receiver class. What, what do you have a take at all yet? Um, when you think about the 22 class versus what's to come, because again, our, our listeners are trying to figure out what to do with these 2020 rookie picks. Yeah, and I think the best advice I would have is that if you are a team that really could go without rookie picks this year, either because your team is so down at the bottom that you know you're not that another year isn't going to kill you to get better, um, or you're a, a contender and you're really just looking for one or two strong players to help you out, um, I would suggest trading out of this class that we're in mm -hmm. right now. Um, and that doesn't mean that the 2023 class is better. It just means that you can afford to take the chance on it. And because guys like Robinson and Gibbs certainly are, you know, very skilled players um, and they may get more of an opportunity as the guys in the running back class or the guys who are current starting running backs get another year older. And then right. the excitement, you know, builds for these younger guys, even if there's a, a maybe a better older guy who was drafted early, you know, later from this past year. So I would say the, that's kind of my recommendation, but mm -hmm. if you can't trade out, then what I would say is you just invest in wide receivers and running backs. Um, maybe take a chance on a, on a tight end, one of the top, you know, maybe the top tight end like Trey McBride early. Yeah. If you're in a 1.5 PPR league, if you're in a two quarterback league, I would say this is a good class to, to probably invest in your QB two and mm -hmm. see, and, and think of your QB two as your second pick, as opposed to your first pick. Right. And then you can take a chance on whoever falls to you at that spot, as long as their name isn't Desmond Ritter. Um, and, <laughs> and so, um, that would be my, you know, I, and I'm just, you know, that's my, that's my take mm -hmm. with him is that I just think that, um, my joke with him, unfortunately, as I told a scout is that I, 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 I fear that he needs an offensive mind who has a whip quick ability to see the exact thing, same things he's seen so that they could put a visor over him. And when he's about to make a, uh, a read that he shouldn't make a big red hue goes <laughs> over the riser, the visor and the green one shows up when he can throw it. But obviously we're, that's not going to happen. And we don't live in a, like we it. don't live in those time in that, I, in that time you know what? Can be instantaneous. I do actually work in the tech industry. So I'm going to get working on this visor and I'll let you know how it goes. We'll make sure you get royalties for that. It was, it was clearly your, your idea. you you can patent that. Uh, Mon, what is that kind of in line with what you're thinking too? As you've been looking at this class, uh, I, I personally am much bigger on 2023. And after going through the RSP, and we'll get to 
uh, a QB discussion here. Um, what, what's your take, Mong, on this uh, class versus next year? Yeah, and I think certainly people are a lot more excited about these 2023 prospects. But at the same time, I, I do think, you know, the boom is possible in the in this 2022 boom bust prospects, right? So I, I'm not necessarily yeah, giving no away my mm -hmm. 2022 rookie picks on the cheap just to get 2023. Um, but at the same time, certainly I, I do think that this QB class has a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that's one of the questions I had for Matt, actually. Um, I, I was looking at your content and how you talk about some of the stuff that you just can't teach quarterbacks, right? Certainly there's ways to develop their footwork, their throwing motions, um, but a lot of the quarterback position more so than any other is the intuitive side of it. And in, in terms of that, I guess from, I, I know that you don't like, Malik Willis all that much. Spoiler alert for our listeners. Um, do you think that he's someone that can develop? And if you're worried about that, who do you think you know has the highest upside in this quarterback class if they were to, say, reach their maximum potential? Not necessarily what we've seen on tape from them so far as a prospect, but from what you've seen from their intuitive um, abilities to read defenses and kind of you know, know how to move around in the pocket, stuff like that. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, it's the, it's a type of thing where really it's, I think these things can be taught, but they have to be taught at an early age and you have to be, you have to have the right combination of learning environment and player for it to really um, sink in. And it's kind of like, you know, if if you I, I've heard orchestral, you know, orchestra musicians who play at major symphonies look at kids and say, um, you know, they play well. And if they want to play through high school and become a, a teacher, you know, like a, a grade school teacher teaching music, they have a fine career and they should have a lot of fun playing music. But their technique, the way that they approach the instrument, it's already so ingrained in the wrong direction that it's probably not going to happen. Sorry, kid. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so there's a lot of things with quarterback play that I think get ingrained in the wrong direction, but you know, teams, college teams are a business and they've always been one, whether they admit it or not. And as a result of that, um, they're willing to take guys who are high end athletes to, to produce it, you know, and, and help them win games in a way that it won't work as well in the NFL. So guys that I think, can I, you know, starting with Malik Willis, I would say this, it, Malik Willis is going to get the opportunity. So while I'm not high on him, I think that if he goes to a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers, where they, if they continue to have a short passing offense, they have enough experienced receivers to, to let him dink and dunk the ball and, and then occasionally throw deep off play action where they have a strong running game and they encourage him to run early mm -hmm. and then allow him to grow into it. You can take the chance and see if he'll be the exception to the rule, like Josh Allen became the exception, mm -hmm. but I'm not betting on it. So, um, you know, I would just tell you that if, you know, if he's a, if Malik Willis is a pick that you're going to have to take within the first four to five picks of your draft, yeah. I would probably skip it. Even if he works out well for you, just look at it as an exceptional circumstance um, based on, on just past experience looking at these players. Players that I think have the skills, 
to to do this. I certainly think Matt Corral does. He may not be in the system that people okay. love, but he certainly understands how to manipulate defenses. He understands how to avoid pressure, manipulate them, and be able to spot when it's time to throw the ball and get rid of it efficiently. So the basic tools that need to be in place for that intuitive type of decision-making to be expressed to its highest level are already there in foundation. And so he's a player that I believe Corral will be that type of player who who will develop into a um, a decent starter as long as he doesn't wind up on a team that just gets him killed early on and then has to go through three coaching changes and then he's never really learned one offense and there's lots of turnover. So that's the risk of all these guys getting drafted high. But if if somehow he can come out the first 24 games fairly unscathed in terms of all that turnover, I think he has a really good shot. I think that Carson Strong is another one like that. I know that a lot of mm -hmm. fantasy people are really down on immobile quarterbacks because they get a lot of the hot take kind of stuff that that is just about flash. And and they also love the yardage. And certainly you could look at Jalen Hurts and you know he's not a complete quarterback yet, but his ability to run the right. football made him a top 10 producer. Mm -hmm. So if you want the short-term, you know, you want the short-term um, ability to sell a player high after you've used them for a little bit, Malik Willis might be helpful that way. Um, he might. But if you're looking for a player, if you're not someone who you just know, look, I don't have the time to wheel and deal. I'm not very good at it. My skill is picking talent. I would rather take, get the discount on Carson yeah. Strong and know that he's what he does well is move in the pocket. Tom Brady moved well in the pocket. Drew Brees moved well in the pocket. Peyton Manning moved well in the pocket. Even Russell Wilson, who runs around everywhere, still moves well in the pocket. Philip Rivers did. Ben Roethlisberger. All the players I mentioned that right on. if you're if you're you know only been a fan for about three years or your memory's only good for about three years will say, well, those guys stunk for the past three years. Yeah, but they didn't stink because they couldn't run. They stunk because their their throwing arms started to dwindle and they couldn't mm -hmm. deliver the ball the way they used to. But moving around in the pocket, um, bought, they bought themselves more than enough time to be able to make the play if their arm were strong. They did it in a tougher era of football for the most part than what we have right now where – you know, patty cake is legal. So it's, <laughs> you know, so when we talk yeah, about, so oh, the demand is so big for these running quarterbacks. And it's like, yeah, because football in an essence, it's mm -hmm. still a tough sport. It's still very physical and, and all of that. And I don't mean to make light of that in, in a, in a realistic sense, but let's be for real. These quarterbacks don't get knocked around nearly as much as they did 15 years ago or no 20 doubt. or 30 years ago. And, and they also receivers, I mean, receivers basically get looked at hard and there's a, and, and they call defensive pass interference, right. you know, back in the day, you could, you could literally play, you'd have to carry them on your back as a wide Take receiver relatively <laughs> to like get a, get a call in your favor. So that's, that's important to remember that this mobility thing is exciting. It can lead to easy upside with an incomplete player, and that's great. But if you're 
if you don't like time in the market, then Carson Strong's a good guy for mm -hmm. you. I think Kenny Pickett could be okay, but I have concerns that long-term you're going to look at him and go, is he on the higher side or the lower side of Kirk Cousins? And that's mm -hmm. where you're kind of looking with him. So okay. I think it's it's safe-ish, yeah. but it's not the boom to me isn't nearly as boom as you think. And then I'm just going to say late, you really want to take a look at Skylar Thompson, who um, may okay. yeah. be a third-day pick, you know, but um, – you know, even the data points to him being one of the top graded quarterbacks in this class. I had a, um, I had someone who has access to a lot of analytics mm -hmm. that basically said, you know, this guy ranks like in the top five to twenty in a lot of important data points mm -hmm. that people don't realize out of like all the quarterbacks that played in college football this year, and his lowest issue. His lowest area was in, in, in a metric that really isn't very sticky, um, and, it, and it's an approximation of decision making that really doesn't doesn't do a good job of being able to do that um, to to look at decision making that way. So I, I think though I would rather look at those guys or Bailey Zappy a little bit mm -hmm, later. Maybe mm -hmm. he can give you that that Ryan Fitzpatrick journeyman kind of highs and you know occasionally um, from his career if you're in a larger league um but yeah i mean quarterback to me is one where you might end up oh uh, fairly unscathed but you're not getting what you what the promise of last year's class looks like it could be yeah and if we if we actually wanted to ask you on this so first of all really helpful on on the qb class man i think what we're hearing is there's a lot of risk at using an early let's say super flex rookie pick on one of these guys in this class. And, and yeah, you, you're right. You would have to spend the top five pick to get Malik Willis. And you got to understand the downside that could be the, the risk that you're seeing in his profile. And, and I really like the idea of waiting a bit, maybe it's a second or third round and getting a guy like Carson Strong, who, I mean, you, you've talked about this guy was running around on one leg and, and still did pretty well. And, um, the Thompson is another guy that, you know, waiting on a guy like that, maybe even the third round and pick up just potentially massive upside. I watched a lot of big 12 football, Matt. And so Thompson is a special type kid who just didn't necessarily see the production yet. So I could see once, once I kind of read through the RSP and saw how you graded him out, that's actually a really exciting prospect. Good, good tip there as well. But I did, before we leave this QB discussion, you, you did mention last year's class and a lot of dynasty fantasy players invested heavily. We had you on the show. We were talking about, you know, more Coracle Jones and and Lawrence. And um, we got the the Trey, the president of the Trey Lance fan club is actually here with us with Mong here tonight. What did you see in this class? Um, did were anything concerns there as they're heading into year two? What's your outlook on on some of these guys, if, if we may ask? Sure. I mean, I'm bullish on Trey Lance. I, mm -hmm. I was a big fan too. And I, from what I saw, I liked what I saw. I just think that yeah. they, the, the 49ers felt like they were in a contention window. So they kept Garoppolo. So I think it actually helped Lance really benefited the most because he probably, he got to sit yeah. and have a little bit of, of play. Right. And he played right. better in his second stint of, of start. So I, I like what I see there and I love the system and the and the supporting cast that he has. So I'm I'm still very bullish on him. I liked Davis Mills. I had him ranked over um yeah. uh, you know Zach Wilson. Yeah, um, nice call. 
Well, for now, appreciate it, but you know, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But you know, the fact that the fact that Mills played as well as he did is promising, especially with how you know how bad of a team the Texans were, and and no he, and yeah. he really showed something there that that just shows that he wasn't a half empty glass of potential. He was really more of a half full, you know. Um, and so that's. I think that Mills is someone to be excited about. The fact that um, you know Justin Fields survived that mess in Chicago, <laughs> yeah, right, is, is good enough. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. that the, the coaching staff they got now is going to emphasize the run. I think that's in in a way that's going to be healthy and, and and provide a little more pass protection in a in a. Uh-huh less dysfunctional manner than the way they had before. And I think it will help Fields. Fields showed enough grit and and some potential as a playmaker there. The fact that they got rid of Urban Meyer in, in Jacksonville, though they set back Trevor Lawrence, I'm still completely confident oh, Trevor yeah. Lawrence. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. have any issue with, okay. with him. Uh, Mac Jones was a guy I, I had number three on my board. Yeah. So, again – the the arm talent is an issue, but if you can find him a top receiver and Devontae Parker yes, isn't it, um, but <laughs> yeah. but hey, he can be helpful. But if they if they can do a little bit more to to build around him, mm-hmm. Mac Jones is going to get better. His arm, I think, will get gradually good enough that it'll be like Drew Brees or Peyton Manning. It won't be great, but it'll be good enough. Yeah. Um, and then you know Zach Wilson was up and down. I mm-hmm. think that I I still I, I didn't see anything that really changed my mind about him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not he's the one I'm lowest on out of that group still, but there's still opportunity there. And yeah. uh, and I think that if you drafted him, um, you know, you're you're gonna look at I would say this is the year to find out if if the stats are good, but you're still seeing some of the Baker Mayfield esque type of skip things that go on with him as a as a thrower and a decision maker then it might be time to sell high and use baker mayfield as a lesson um if it's a if it's one like of those that, scenarios yeah. where the the stats are either great or even not so great but he's making strides with his decision making and it's more issues of drop passes or not enough protection and it's not just fanboys making excuses for him Mm-hmm. then yes, then maybe it's time to hold on to them. But we're going to find that out this year. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I certainly have more faith in in that previous class versus the the incoming class. And so I'm glad that we, we were able to cover that. I can tell you what I was excited about after reading the RSP was this running back class, Matt, especially at the top. And you know, we we've been talking a lot about it on the show, but uh, guys like Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker in particular, I was pumped to see that you validated a lot of what we've been seeing with um, really some of some of your higher grades over the last few classes. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker and uh, what what you felt like separated them kind of in, in their tier out of this running back class? Well, I think what it comes down to is that both of them can run um, a variety of blocking schemes at a high level, and they do mm-hmm. it where they incorporate their athletic ability into with good technique. They both have good footwork. They both have sudden quickness and 
and short, you know, in terms of short area change of direction and acceleration. Their their acceleration is good enough to be a starter. They they both understand how to run with decent pad level. They're they can be patient. They catch the ball well out of the backfield. I think Hall is the type of player that makes it look very easy. Um, yeah. Sometimes a little too easy, <laughs> too easy at times. Yeah, you know, but mm-hmm. but and that and you know, it's one of those things that you know you can't you're not gonna great grade down a guy because he makes things look too easy um, or that you have a gut feeling that if there's a guy that will somehow just kind of stall out, it could be Hall. I mean, I, I would draft him, but I have, I have that lingering little bit of concern, Mm -hmm. but he's such an exciting player. He really is. And and when he puts his mind to, you know, deciding that he's going to run hard, he's going to run tough. He does that at a high level, but he's he's got a mix of skills. He gives you a little of what Matt Forte can do in terms of the promise of being able to run for power, cutting ability, the vision. And then he has a little bit – he also has that um, change of direction quickness that LaShawn McCoy has and some of that creativity. And he's he's that gliding athlete like Robert Smith, who's – you know, if you remember Robert Love Smith. Love those cops, yes. You know, he, he kind of glides by you. So – Love Brees Hall's game um, in terms of what it could become. Kenneth Walker makes fewer mistakes than Brees Hall does. He's a, I would say he's a, a, he's a guy that he's a safer pick in the Mm -hmm. sense of that the the downside's less, but the upside might not be quite as high, but I'm talking, we're splitting hairs because Kenneth Walker to me, yeah. Kenneth Walker to me is a lot like um, J.K. Dobbins. Um, and J.K. Yeah. Dobbins, I was he was my number one. Back I remember, yeah, you were big yeah. on Dobbins. We yeah. were too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dobbins and Taylor were my top two. And so when you yeah. look at Dobbins, you know, and Dobbins reminded me of Ray Rice. And you know, Ray Rice was a both of those backs, Dobbins and Rice were very quick, sudden in terms of their change of direction, skilled in terms of yards after contact, very patient, could run outside and inside, could carry the load for you despite being you know, shorter, but they were not, they weren't small, you know, short, not small type of backs. And I think that, you know, either one of these guys could carry the load for you. And Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see where their landing spots are. Hopefully they land in in a place where they get to compete for the starting job right away. Yeah. And I I wanted to ask you that you mentioned these guys, both of them could run behind any number of different blocking schemes. Are there a couple of teams that you would especially like to see one of them land in? Um, in, a, in a good situation or is it just about the opportunity or do you do you see schemes Matt that you would think they would really excel in really the schemes don't matter so much to me um, mm-hmm. though I would say with Hall um, he would be better in zone than gap sometimes just because he can run gap but mm-hmm. let him express some of that creativity and have options gotcha. I think he's good with that um, I I think that I I would rather not see either of them in a duo scheme. Yeah. He runs that. So the Buccaneers are a team that, even though they have good blocking, um, I guess I would rather see Walker if he had to go somewhere. I'd rather see Walker. And if he had to go to Tampa Bay, I'd rather see him there than Hall because mm-hmm. he's already shorter, can get small through the creases. And I think that he could exploit that reasonably well. But otherwise, I think Atlanta, even though they're not yeah. a great running team right now, mm-hmm. the, you know, 
they can do well enough with him with them on zone and that could be good um but it's more for me um where i wouldn't want to see them and i'd say okay tampa's duo with the tight creases the way those are it's a it's designed to have a tight crease type of system that's those are the ones that i'd, I'd rather not see those guys in for fantasy purposes okay gotcha when you when you look beyond those top two of the class are, are there some other guys that really impressed you from this running back class we, we have talked a lot about spiller I, I noticed a couple other names that you were pretty high on talk to us about some of these other guys yeah, certainly. I mean, I like Spiller. I think that he'll be a good fit in an outside zone scheme. Um, and he can run gap for you as well, though he has some issues here and there. He, he may not yeah. be as rock solid as mm-hmm. Colin Walker, but he belongs in that tier. Um, and I think Brian Robinson belongs in that tier. He's a player nice. who, who when when you look at his hands, his closeout power, his his quickness, he he blocks well. He, he's someone that I I would love to see, um, you know, he can he can play even in in pistol, you, you know, mm-hmm. where he's beside the quarterback. So I I would love to see him on a team where maybe he's with an aging running back and he gets a chance okay. to work his way in there. Um, other guys that impress me, I mean, Zamir White is a is mm-hmm. a consummate professional. I think that his receiving game and blocking are competent, but and they'll need to get a little bit better, but he's a tough Mm -hmm. straight line runner with good speed. He runs hard. Um, I think he'll grow into a, a solid back who either can give you that top 20 productive RB two type of vibe in a committee, or he can be a lead back, but the, they take him out of the passing game and put Austin Eckler in, you know what I mean? Mm, So you could see white being in a a charger and being the two down back with Eckler being moved back to something like that, which fantasy players would hate, but you know, something (laughs) of that, that nature would be, I could see that other guys that I really like that are more later mid to late round players. Kennedy Brooks out of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. is. I, I think he's the, he's one of the smartest, savviest just natural runners in this class in terms of how he's gained the skills to to play at the level he does he i think he transcends the the lower ceiling of athletic potential that he has and even his athletic potential isn't awful i mean it's it's still well within range of what a starter can be he is conceptual understanding of how to set up blocks his patience his ability to read defenses um, pre-snap is really excellent. And and he cuts really well. He knows how to transition. He has great contact mm-hmm. balance. And he has the micro yeah, movements that I talk right. about that are really yeah. strong. I There's something about this guy that while I don't have him in my top five, he there's something about him that if someone told me, listen, we're going to give you we're going to give you, you know, $100,000 to make a bet on who's going to come closest to being the Terrell Davis of this class. I would, and, but we, you can't have the 100 grand. You can only <laughs> place the 100 grand on the bet to win yeah. it. You know, Kennedy Brooks would be my like surprise it. guy. You know, mm-hmm. okay. there's just something about his game. Yeah, I've, I've that, seen it. I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I love him. Keontae Ingram, I'm a big fan. It reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of Kareem Hunt and Chris Ivory, kind of somewhere Ooh. in between those two players. Okay. Um, you know, very quick. Um, I know Bijan Robinson took his job, but yeah. 
but Ingram is extremely quick, great footwork, understands yeah. how to to turn bad situations into manageable ones, mm -hmm. if not good ones. And then, you know, beyond that, some guys that are just fun, you know, that could be interesting. I like Isaiah Pacheco and Kevin Harris. I think both of them could wind up being starters. Okay. Um, and Jerome Ford certainly is in that list. But then, you know, sneaky good guys. Abram Smith in an outside zone. I think mm. all day, every day, he could do that. He could be kind of like the kind of like a DeMarco Murray type of back in that in that scheme or a Mike at worst Mike Anderson way back in the day where you go well uh -huh. you know he he's he runs kind of straight legged cuz he has those two knee injuries and he's a really a linebacker at heart but his ability to understand how outside zone works mm -hmm. is fantastic Tyler Goodson surprises me at Iowa okay he, yeah I really he I know someone connected that program who said, listen, they don't allow mm -hmm. you to, to make cutbacks in outside zone. Okay. And, uh, and you got to stay with the front side play more often than, than a guy with Goodson's cutback ability should, you know, was limited to be. He's a, he's one of the best receivers in this class. And while I don't okay. think he's Austin Eckler, mm -hmm. I think he's, I think you can compare him as he's aspiring to have skills in the neighborhood of that. So I think he's he could be a surprisingly better player in the NFL than what you might see. And, and then, you know, there's a number of guys. I could probably go for go through another 10 guys that have that intrigue. And some of yeah. them I'll just name Zonovan Knight, Pierre Strong, um, you know, Tyrion Davis-Price, um, and Zaquandre White, and, and then even a guy like, um, you know, Damian Pierce, you know, mm -hmm. so those okay. are all guys that have intriguing upside as at least committee backs, maybe could be a lot more if they find the right spot. Okay. I, I like that a lot. And um, one question I did want to ask you rattled off a few there that you're, you're big on. Who do you think if you had to maybe name one that could be like the Elijah Mitchell or the Ramondre Stevenson out of this running back class that out that well outperforms their ADP. Who would that I be think, for you? I think Isaiah Pacheco because I for, nice. I think I think he's going to wind up being a a third day pick and I think he has second day the way the NFL picks backs he has day two ability okay um, he's the speeds there the hand eye coordination is fantastic he can run for power people will criticize his decision making but from what I watched I watched him play behind a team that. He had to make the choice. Do I want, do I get planted in the backfield or do I abandon the stain with my block mm -hmm, that right. hasn't, that is still like, you, you know, <laughs> you're looking at your watch, you're holding the ball yeah. going, okay, do I want to get planted here or do I want to make a move? Yeah. You know? yeah, and, yeah. I, and I felt right. like there were a lot of plays like okay. that with Pacheco. So he's, he, he and Jerome Ford, I think are two guys I would consider. Okay. And Jerome Ford. Yeah. I, I definitely liked a lot of what I saw there too. Mong, I mean, I know that, on the flip side, you're a more more risk averse manager. Um, what would you say, Matt, for for Mung and I here? Are some guys that you think could be traps that um, you're you're a bit more concerned with out of this class? Yeah, um, Rashad White, 
Tyler mm-hmm. Algier and Kyron Williams, I think, are all really good <laughs> okay. examples of players yeah. that I would avoid. Um, mm-hmm. White, I think you could take a chance on if he falls far enough, but you're not going to likely – fantasy players seem to be enamored with him in the same way that there's a yeah, track of them that, that love mm-hmm. Kalen Ballage, you know, or or um, Darren McFadden, <laughs> you know, and there's some similar things with White and those two players, which is that – he does not run with his pads as well as he needs to. He's far more of an athlete and a pass catcher than he is a well-rounded player. And when you are a running back and you have an open hole and you have a linebacker or safety on the other side of that hole on his heels and you don't take that hole and you don't attack that defender with your pads or at least try and set him yeah, up to make a that's miss, a problem. Yeah. That's a problem. You know, it's like having a wide open receiver one on one and you don't throw the ball deep when right, right. The, the, the conditions are there. And White does not run tough enough in the situations where he needs to run tough enough. He might learn, but I, I think that he's his decision making, his pad level, they're all things that give me pause. Um, you know, uh, okay. the other players that I mentioned, Kyron Williams. I never yeah. thought he was fast. I never thought he was quick. Um, and now we just learned that was in fact true. Yeah. And, and that turned out to be the case. And he, yeah. he runs like Steve Slayton, which was way back <laughs> in the day. Yeah. But what he does is that he's impressive for the college game, but he runs to open space rather than running to open leverage. And there's a difference when you have a, de- a blocker on a defender if the if the defender's helmet's on one side or his 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 waist is on one side, then you're going to run to that opposite area, depending on what the blocking scheme is also set up to do. And you try and set things up so that you get the defender moving in the direction to run to where that space is going to open up yeah. based on yeah. the leverage. Kyron Williams is great at going. Oh, there's the open space. Mm-hmm. Let me run to it, and then it closes up because he wasn't look he wasn't running based on the scheme so he's another one that i'm that i was concerned about and i'm trying to remember who the third guy i mentioned i think was. algier algier yeah. yeah look algier's a great story and he's yeah it he, really you is lo- but, yeah yeah you love players who try hard you love yeah. players who are overachievers but i think he has a real problem with gauging angles like angles that he can beat a defender on yeah. as a runner and That's angles that defenders take in pass protection that he always seems a step late with that. Um, and and I just look at that and I think that's going to be hard for him to fix and adjust. If he does, even then, he's not a top athlete. And I didn't see decision-making where I just felt mm-hmm. like, ooh, that overcomes a lot. It's not Devon, you know, Devin Singletary or or um, you know, even a Peyton Barber or or a Kennedy Brooks who may have better vision and footwork than they yeah. do athletic ability and can give you a hundred yards in a game if they get the carries. Okay. Super helpful. I mean, I hope the listeners are taking notes here. This has been good. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's cool to go through the RSP and go into a whole lot more detail on this. If we shift gears now over to this wide receiver class, first off, uh, Matt, I get, we got to thank you. you. You absolutely nailed it last year, you had Chase and Jalen Waddles, your top two wide receivers. Mung and I, thankfully, did listen to that and have some shares. And those guys have been rocket ships in, in Dynasty. We're kind of convinced, and, and you have to tell me if you, you think of it differently, that there's not any wide receivers quite at that level. But 
would love to hear about who some of the wide receivers that you are excited about, where you had some pretty high grades. Um, talk to us about this wide receiver class. Sure. Um, yeah, Chase and Chase and Waddle are historically good players. So um, yeah. nobody cracked that ninety score on my board. Where ninety yeah. for me is is franchise. Well, actually, kind of more of a rare talent franchise player mm-hmm. who is is going to be immediate. You know, basically production leadership on your mm-hmm. team right off the bat. But there's a guy on the on the cusp of that, and that guy is Chris Olave. Um, nice. And, and okay. I think Chris Olave yeah. is the smoothest route runner in this class. He's an yeah, pro ready, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent tracker of the football, underrated athletic ability because of the fact that Garrett Wilson seemed flashier, you know, on the field in many respects. But I think Olave is more versatile um, in terms of what he can do as a route runner, what he does um, in the middle of the field as well as on the outside. I think he's just a little bit more refined. Not a, not enough that if you said, look, I'm going to put Garrett Wilson in the same tier, I might even take him ahead. Depending on the offense you're in, mm-hmm. maybe you want a little bit more of that running ability and think that he can mature enough to be the runner that he's capable of and that the and that the big plays that he made, that he'll, he'll yeah. cut down on some of the mistakes to do that. So Olave, I think, is certainly in that, in that top tier – and I, I like him almost not as much as Waddle and, and Chase, but certainly close enough that he could have an instant impact this year. And I expect him okay. to, to be a ace, you know, to have a year, at least the way Devonta Smith had a year mm-hmm. um, last year. Mm-hmm. And, and Smith was what, an eight or 900 yard receiver, I think, uh, you know, or yeah. maybe, oh, yeah. you know. So mm-hmm. I think Olave can do that and build on it and have more to build on than Smith. Um, and London certainly is there too. Although I, I, I think you guys probably have have are fans of London from what I remember us talking before the show. Yeah, yeah. That I think that's your guy, right, Mung? What do, What do you like about Drake London? Yeah, I mean, beyond the size, I mean, he has incredible body control. Some of the snatches that he makes in the end zone, where you know, to me, it looks like the ball's going to go out of bounds, clearly, right? It was overthrown, and then somehow he comes down with it. Um, I think he's a better route runner than people give him credit for. I know that a lot has been made about separation, but I think considering his size, I mean, he runs good routes, and even when he doesn't, you know, he does have the size to out uh, to outfight the other defender for those 50-50 balls. So for me, you know, Drake London's my number one wide receiver, but certainly I'll have to go take another look at Chris Olave now uh, after your glowing recommendation. Um, I really want to hear Matt talk about um, a couple guys like Calvin Austin and Wandell Robinson, though, because I, I know, Matt, you're such, you know, you're always looking at the film. You're so deep into all the details, dissecting them as prospects. And at what point, you know, do you look at, the analytics side of it where the size is a concern where, you know, even if someone was an incredible route runner uh, with clean routes and the speed, you know, does that give you pause where the NFL is moving towards a little bit smaller, speedier wide receivers? Um, Or do you think, you know, do you think they can kind of blossom with the tools that they have shown already, or is it still a concern for you? 
It's such a great question because it really gets to the heart of the challenges of scouting talent. And mm -hmm. first, I, I want to say London, London isn't far away from Olave for me. And London was my top nice. guy pretty much all year until I finished watching Olave tape. Um, okay. So yeah. and and separation. The thing about separation that you hit upon and kind of inferred or, or touched upon a little bit that I'd like to expand on is that separation is just as much about getting vertical distance as it is about getting horizontal distance or as it is about playing above the defender. And so if Drake London can box out a defender and own an air, a side of the field and then drift to the drift to the boundary, that's separation late. You know, if you can play above the rim, that's separation as well. That's why Steve Smith is a good example of a small player who played big because he could time his leaps. He leaped correctly in terms of leaping straight up into the air. And that's the thing that London has to work on just a little bit is that he has the same issue that Colin um, Johnson had out of Texas, which is jump backs for the ball. This is a technique when you run back shoulders, when you have any type of contested catch that may be on an underthrown ball on purpose or unintentional, you need to jump straight up in the air. When you watch um, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, they are perfect examples of guys who they time their leap early enough so that when they leap, they leap straight up in the air and they meet the ball at the earliest point. When you leap late because you're not tracking it on time, you wind up leaping straight up. But as you see the ball arriving, you wind up doing the kind of reverse swan dive back towards the defender and you mm -hmm. open up your chest to the defender's reach to be able to defend the ball. And Drake London does that a little bit. And Colin Johnson did that an awful lot. I mean, he was oftentimes parallel with the ground, leaning back to catch balls, and it mitigates your size. You know, you can be 6'5", and you're leaping when you're leaning back like that. You might as well be 5'9". And that's the type of thing that, you know, technique and timing play into that. And that's where we get to some of these small guys because Calvin Austin, to me, is a great example of a player who he can he does that technique perfect. And when you watch him at Memphis, Austin does a fantastic job of leaping straight up in the air and winning outside routes that have these types of throws. Now, the question is that you asked is what happens now? Can, how do you, does that give you pause with his size and how that factors in for me is okay. He does these things well right now. So he's, so I've got to give get him in at least a certain level of tier that I where I give him points for that. But can he can he do that against top NFL corners? And that's the question. If I project that he can, then I'd have to put him there. But based on the size limitation and based on the fact that we have very few players who have been that good in that area of football with those size limitations, I, I decide to err on, I err on the side of prove it to me as opposed to, I think he can do it. You know, if, if there's a big, if there's models of players, you know, who came before him that say, yes, it's no longer an exception to the rule, or he's a straight up like spitting image of the same player in this area who did it well, then I would have given Austin credit. But for me, Austin, he has to be a tier below where I would have 
otherwise placed him because he, to me, he has to prove that he can do that. Now, if I were drafting in the NFL, if I had a position where I could be a decision maker in that room and, and the offense, we knew our offense would be a good fit for him as a slot receiver, as a part-time kind of gadget player on top of that, maybe out of the backfield. But we could also say, listen, we know he's going to do these things, but while we've got him in summer, why don't we have him run lots of routes against our top corners on the outside and mm-hmm. practice and just see what he does and then maybe do it in preseason a little bit so we can see what he does. And if he's killing it in that area, then that's even more incentive for why we should pick him because we might have unlocked something there. So I think he has that. I think he has that potential. And so I've given him a little bit of a bonus in the mm-hmm. tier that's below the one that I might have put him at if he were six two, you know, um, <laughs> as opposed to, as opposed to five seven, um, or even five. If if he was five eleven and jumped as high as he did, I probably would have done it. Um, but that that's where I have Austin Wandale Robinson. I think his skills at going up to win the ball need work. He has some of the same problems that Colin Johnson had leaning back. He has some issues in that regard where I don't think he's as good against press coverage as Austin has shown at least. So I don't think the potential is quite as high in terms of that ability to unlock that next level. Um, But if, if you're playing conservative and you, and they both fall it around late enough for you to say, let me take a chance. Both of them expressed at the level of what you see right now, they're both probably decent slot receivers. If you think Isaiah McKenzie, who Ben Finnell at NFL Films compared, um, you know, Austin to, I believe, is that Isaiah McKenzie. Okay. And look, McKenzie's going to be the starter. So you, you know, McKenzie, Hunter Renfro, players like that, but maybe more along the lines of opening them up to being Deshaun Jackson. And if you remember, again, if you remember fantasy football for longer than the three year period, <laughs> Um, Deshaun Jackson actually was one of the most productive players. If you were counting number of wide receiver one fantasy seasons over the past 14, 15 yeah. years, he and Julio Jones had some were right. the, some of the best repeat producers on that level. So if Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson, Paul Richardson, those are guys that are kind of in on the higher end of this tier of expression but they were also both taller and a little bit heavier. So it's that's why these guys are just a little below that that um, sign on the roller coaster that says, you know, can you ride that ride? <laughs> you know, and yeah. that's where I'm a little that's where okay. I'm a little worried. Thank you for that. I, so uh, we want to be respectful of your time. We we thought we'd have a little fun and close here with um, something we've done with some other analysts too, called smash or pass. Okay. You mentioned earlier where you you kind of do look at ADP and that's it, you actually provide some guidance on underrated or overrated. So in this case, if you like a player um, and you think that they're absolutely underrated um, versus where you've seen ADP, that's a smash. And on the other the other side, if you don't have anything to do with the, this player in a rookie draft, it's a pass. So okay, let's have a little fun here. So let's stick with wide receiver. And first one is Sky Moore. Uh, I'm. I would probably say I'm. I haven't seen ADP yet, but I would say 
most likely, I bet he's probably a late first, early second, mid second round player. And I would, I would painfully say pass. Okay. About George Pickens coming off the, the injury there. Um, I think that he's probably, he's going to be, he's going to have pockets of people who are over the moon on him mm-hmm. and pockets of people who aren't. Yeah. So most likely if you can get him, you know, if you have to get him at his ADP, I'd say pass. Okay. Uh, how about Christian Watson? You mentioned him earlier. Smash. Okay. Absolutely. Nice. Nice. Um, how about a guy like uh, Jahan Dotson? Um, I'd say, I'd say smash, you know, I, okay. I feel pretty good okay. about him. Okay. Another one Mung and I were talking about that we wanted to get your thoughts on John Mechie. I really just cause Mark Schofield's my buddy and he and I, he really likes Mechie and I liked what I saw of him early on, but I'm going to, I would say based on the fact that he has an ACL tear, I think you can get him at a decent enough value. I'll say smash. Um, even though if, if if you're drafting him based on hoping that he's going to play this year and the ADP were to reflect that, I'd say pass. Okay. No, thank you for that. Definitely put you on the hot seat there. Um, Mung, did you have any others you wanted to hit real quick before we start and, to And we have up? a little we have more time if you okay. want. I mean, we okay. can do that. So don't worry. Yeah, what are your thoughts on uh Khalil Shakir? I love him and he's a player I'd smash right away. I'm yes. actually gonna be <laughs> I'm going to be profiling him soon on film okay. for us for for a podcast tomorrow. Um, and uh, Shakir is to me he's a Steelers type of receiver. I mean, and what I mean by that is he's <laughs> tough, he's physical, um, he can you know whether it was Heinz Ward or Antonio Brown at the height of his career or Juju Smith Schuster. These are, um, or Deontay Johnson, who I compare him favorably to. He, Shakir is someone who um, can run the ball in the open field. He can run in traffic. He knows how to finish well. He makes terrific catches in terms of his ability to track the football, but he's also a promising route runner in terms of that he can get to a sudden stop, make that sudden turn, adjust well in zone to the ball, either when it's not pinpoint or adjust in a manner where he's not running himself into coverage. And once he gets the ball, he's smart about getting downhill and getting the most that he can get out of the play. His route running needs a little work. He claps onto the football a little bit at times where his technique can lead him to drop the football because he's just a little careless with how he's looking the ball in and how he's handling it. But I think that like Deontay Johnson, if he had continues to work on it and not have those lapses, he he can have a fine career and have some strong seasons. But his his low end to me is like Deontay Johnson. He starts off strong, does pretty well. Then he starts dropping the ball a lot because he thought he made it and he didn't really focus on that particular part of the craft because he didn't maybe even realize how much of a problem it was because he was catching it for big plays and still being on the field. And then he started hearing all this criticism and the coaches were criticizing him and then realized maybe I need to work on this. So I think Khalil Shakur is kind of that player where that's the range of outcomes with him right now. Okay. I'll I'll throw one out there um, for dynasty dad, because he's, I think he's higher on Traylon Burks than Mung and I are. 
Uh, but if you had to, because Burks is going pretty high, is that a smash or a pass for you on Burks? It's a pass. Um, yeah, yeah. But he's his grade. His grade is high enough that that again, uh, right now he's a right now he's a pass. But if he lands in Miami, he's a smash. If okay, he, you know because he's basically in yeah. San Francisco 49ers territory, right South yeah. Florida. Or if he winds up on a team that has two strong two other receivers. Guys, yeah. Where he mm-hmm. can be Kenny Galladay, circa Detroit, and then yeah, yeah then he's fine. probably not going to be Debo, but he could be Kenny G, Detroit, if used in the in in the right fit. Okay, and then I had one other one. You know, I, Jameson Williams at times did remind me a little bit of Waddle, that um, in you know same school and everything. Do you see Jameson Williams as the top five uh, wide receiver from this class as a smash, or would you pass on? Oh, I'd smash. Top five. Okay. Smash. And I and I saw him as Waddle too. I think he's somewhere okay. between Deshaun Jackson and Waddle in terms of my comparison. He's just I would say he's a tier under Waddle, but that tier is a pretty darn awesome tier because most wide receivers that we consider top prospects are in the tier that Williams and Waddle and, and Chase were in a, a tier above most of the most of the grades I give wide receivers. Uh, that's great to hear that. Mom, were you gonna throw another one? Yeah, I know we're over the hour mark, um, but one last question. I, I I know we're we love talking about rookies, but a little curveball for you, Matt. Uh, I love Cortland Sutton. I think prior to his ACL tear, we were seeing some amazing things from Sutton. Now he gets paired with Russell Wilson. I know Andrew Erickson over at Fantasy Pros. He tweeted out that he thinks that Sutton could be this year's Cooper Cup. Uh, I don't I don't know that that'll come to pass, but I think the ceiling is there. And I, I just want to get your thoughts on Sutton and particularly Sutton with Wilson uh, in Denver now. That's It's fascinating to see that he would be the Cooper Cup when you would think by role Jerry Judy would be more of a Cooper Cup-esque mm-hmm. type of option for that team or even K.J. Yeah. Hamler um, in terms of, you know, as kind of under under the surface there. But Sutton is a fantastic player. He, you know, he he's a good example of a player who had some of the same issues Khalil's um, Shakir had, which was clapping the football, and he still does. But it, you can see that it's not a, a career killer for you. Can he still makes some tough plays, and with he and and Russell Wilson together, I think that what you're going to find is that this is a that Jerry Judy can play that Doug Baldwin type of role. Um, in in the sense of, you know, what he offers, or even Tyler Lockett to a degree, um, and and then you get Sutton in that Metcalf role. I just don't know. I, I guess they're, you know, if the offense is going to go more towards what the Rams do, um, then really, I I don't see Sutton being that guy, but I certainly see Sutton being productive enough to be a you know, at least what he's often been when he's on the field, which is a high-end wide receiver two, low-end wide receiver one. So I'm excited about, uh, you know, even though I'm I'm not a Denver Broncos fan, I'm a big Russell Wilson fan, and and I'm mm. very excited to see Russell Wilson in a situation where he's got a loaded offense. Yeah. No, thanks. So, so Matt, uh, I really want to thank you again. I, I love every minute of these, and I've been – taking notes and i know that this will be a, a wildly popular show you you've done so much for um dynasty and 
really for this whole community. And so we want to thank you, but we also want to support you. I know one of the ways we talked about last year in the pod was um, darkness to light. And we had some of our subscribers um, support that, but I know you also have a GoFundMe um, that you just started, um, which is a really great cause. And I'd love it if you could share a little about that so that our smash listeners can, can um, consider supporting that as well. Sure. And actually it's not my GoFundMe, but it is, okay. it is of a fantasy longtime fantasy player mm-hmm. who contacted me around the Super Bowl by the name of John Hodgins and John's a 75 year old, um, mm-hmm. um, retiree who worked in a Modesto County hospital for about 25 years. And he and his wife retired, had their, you know, their plan, everything set up to be in a place in the Sierra mountains that they were renting out. And they had a roommate. They sublet to a roommate who turned out not to be, um, you know, uh, a good roommate to say that lightly. <laughs> wow! Yeah. The, it ended in it ended in and him getting kicked out, and then a home invasion where he oh, basically no. assaulted them at gunpoint. Oh, um, so this happened three, four years ago, and um, as a result of that. You know, the gentleman, the the assailant was put in the the jail for 22 years, so they don't have to worry about him. But the but the house basically was no longer they were no they were basically kicked out of the house because of the the damage done to the house. And the 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 landlord decided that they needed to fit after repairing it, that they were just going to get out from under this property and not rent and, and just sell it. And so they they had. You know, when not everybody makes a ton of money, you know, and then is prepared for retirement, maybe quite the way they need to be. Think life happens, you know, your best financial planning, things can kind of go out from under you. And he tried to take care of these things himself. Um, but they've been living basically in, you know, short term hotels, living in cars, being homeless. And they're in a trailer right now, but, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling. And so, he he approached me about you know sharing his GoFundMe and fortunately we've had a number of people have done a who who've been very generous and That's have great. and been able to raise thirty seven hundred dollars thus far. Oh, his goal seventy five hundred. Um, okay. So I'm going to be off you know and he's and yeah, one we'll of my listeners yeah want to share it and one of my mm-hmm. one of my listeners has actually gotten in contact with him about possibly finding him a job. But awesome. you know you know. When yeah. you're, if you've ever been poor on this, on a, even even remotely to this level, even if it's not, you know that even what you raise, sometimes things crop up as sure. you're going. You know, one thing can really derail you in a way that it does. You know, and he's in that state, he mm-hmm. and his wife. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being able to help him out, read his, you know, I'll I'll put a link to the GoFundMe, and if you guys want to share it, I'll send you the link. We will for sure do that, so that you can read about his story and understand and and provide what's done there. And then again, you know, if you don't mind with the RSP, listen, you know, this yeah. is you know, this is what I do for a living. So, um, you know, this is 17 years in the making, and I will say that, um, you know, for 21.95, you get the pre-draft, you get a post-draft. Like I said, you get put on a newsletter, and with the um, darkness to light i've been donating five thousand up to five thousand dollars a year used to be ten percent of my sales um but you know i've gotten to a point where i need to start to work on my website and kind of Mm -hmm. you know put things together but i'll say that you know i'm still donating up to five thousand dollars to this organization we've raised um over fifty thousand dollars in the past decade 
to darkness to light and they're devoted to um preventing sexual abuse of children through educational programs to you know municipal organizations individuals um schools um you know businesses you name it teaching them how to spot for early warning signs that can lead to um, sexual abuse of children as well as educating them on how to deal with the issue when someone reports it so that the children are not further traumatized because that's oftentimes one of the greatest sources of trauma for children and april um, is child abuse prevention month um and so if you want to donate to d2l.org you can do that um if you want to purchase the rsp um i love to be able to represent by being able to you know donate through there and you get a fantasy um and football resource that is well worth that price um usually i still have readers telling me i should charge more so um, i would be one of those and pleasantly shocking readers for many years now matt again thank you so much for listeners please do consider supporting that's what i love about this community matt and it, it, it yeah of course we're helping each other with our dynasty teams and rookie drafts but we're here to help the community and so you can count on my support certainly for the rsp darkness to light but also for this gofundme and i hope that others will consider that as well so again thank yeah thanks for uh, listeners for considering that and uh, i definitely recommend you go out and get the rsp i want to thank professor matt waldman it's been a, a fun smash university pod here hope you all enjoyed it as much as i did and enjoy the process.